Several words of life, faith of our fathers. Let's go back to the Bible. Give me the Bible. Our theme this morning is restore, restore, restoration, restore. Restore means to set in order again. Restore means to reconstruct the original. Restore. This is what we're all about. This is it. If, if we don't have this principle, by the way, what is a principle? P-R-I-N-P-L-E. P-R-I-N-C-I-P-L-E. Principle. What does that mean? That's a basic truth. That's a basic truth that serves as our foundation. Okay. This principle of restoration to restore. If we don't have this, then there's nothing distinct about us. If we don't have this, we don't know who we are. And so we're going to explore for a few minutes the idea of restoration. Restoration. First part of our lesson, we'll, we'll see five parts Five parts to restoration, and then we'll look at a corrupt attitude. Second, that'll be the second part of our lesson, a corrupt attitude. And then we'll finish up our lesson with, with a plea, a personal plea. Okay? And so we know exactly where we're going. Okay? We don't have to let our minds wander. You don't have to wonder where I'm at. Okay? So we're going to be in the five parts. What are the five parts to restoration? What are the five parts to this principle? Part number one is to recognize that there is and was an original system. That's right. To recognize as, as you go back to the first century, as you read in your New Testament, as you read your Bible, there was an original system of Jesus Christ set up by God and it is, is, it is exactly as he intended it to be. So the first part has to do with the original. The original. Okay, if you didn't get all that, just put down original. Original. Part number one's about the original. Was there an original system of religion set up in the first century? There was. There was. One of the easiest ways to see this is to, is to look at Isaiah 2 and the prophecy of the church. Isaiah 2 in verses 2 and 3 because it says there in the last days there was to be set up the mountain of the Lord's house and all nations shall flow unto it. They will go to that mountain of the Lord's house and he will, the Lord will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths for out of Zion shall go forth the word of the Lord or the law of the Lord and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now that prophecy tells us a lot. It tells us when. When is this system going to be set up? The last days. The last days began on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, 16, 17, and 18. So when? Day of Pentecost. Day of Pentecost. Okay. What's going to be set up? The house of the Lord. Paul identifies the house of the Lord in 1 Timothy 3, 15. 1 Timothy 3, 15 as the church of our God. 1 Timothy 3, 15. So the house of the Lord Mentioned in, in Isaiah 2 is the church of God, 1 Timothy 3, verse 15. So when and what? When and what? Well, who's going to go into this house? All nations. That's what the great commission that Jesus gives us in Mark 16, 
15 and 16, all nations shall flow unto it. All nations. Okay, it's going to be available. This treasure of the house of God is going to be available. This forgiveness of sins, this Christian living is going to be available to anyone on the earth who cares to take a look at the gospel. Mark 16, 15, Jesus said, Go in the world, all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. And so when and what and who and how, how are they going to learn about forgiveness? How are they going to learn about Christian living? Well, the Lord will teach us of his ways, Isaiah says. He will teach us of his ways. And then as we learn his ways, we're going to walk in his paths. So that's, that's the how. That's how we're drawn to the Lord. That's how we're drawn to the church is through the teaching of the Lord. Where is this going to take place? From Jerusalem. Day of Pentecost, Jerusalem. There was an original system set up by God exactly as he intended it uh, to be. Now, part of this system being revealed is what Jesus calls all the truth. All the truth. He, in John 16, 13, Jesus said to his apostles, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he will guide you into all the truth. All the truth. There's nothing coming after this is God's final revelation. This is God's final communication to man. And this final communication is associated with this original system. How long was this original system to be in place? Okay. Well, as Jesus gives the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 20, he said, go teach these things and I'll be with you until the end of the world. End of the world. And so there was an original system set up as we read the New Testament in the first century, okay, this is God's final communication to man, and this final communication to man, this system is to last until the end of the world. The end of the world is not taking place yet, and so this system is still in place, you see. This original system of Jesus Christ is not just a good option. It is not just the best option. It is the only valid option for religious people today. It is the only valid option in order to save your soul today. Not just your soul, my soul, everybody's soul. Part number one is there was an original system. Part number two is this. God expects submission to this system. He expected it in, in the first century, in New Testament times, and he expects submission to it today. He expects us to submit to it and to stick with it, you see. A couple examples of this. Acts 2.42, it says, uh, they continued, who's they? The early church. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of the bread and in the prayers. 2 Timothy 1.13, Paul says, behold the pattern of sound words, or in other words, be sure to follow this pattern of sound words. 2 Timothy 1.13. I really like this one in 2 Timothy 3.14. Paul says to Timothy, young Timothy, he says to young Timothy, he says, now evil men will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, but you continue in the things which you have learned and those things which you have been assured of, 2 Timothy 3, 14. What does God expect? He expects folks to continue with this original system. Okay. Another reason he know, we know he expects this is because of all the warnings not to, not to depart. All the warnings not to depart. 
Okay. We could literally spend from now to 12 noon talking about passages that says, do not depart, do not depart. Second John, for example, second John verses nine through 11, John says, whoever does not bring this doctrine of Jesus, don't receive him into your house and don't bid him Godspeed. Okay. You stick with this. First Timothy 1, 3, first Timothy 6, verse three, do not teach a different doctrine. Do not teach a different doctrine. Okay. And so how could, how could anyone be warned or be chastised about departing from the faith if first of all, there wasn't an original system and second of all, God does not expect us to stick with that original system. How could you be warned about departing from the faith, falling away from the faith? How could you be warned about that? How could you be chastised about doing that if there wasn't an original system in the first place and in the second place, God doesn't expect us to stick with that. Okay. If God doesn't expect us to stick with it, there'll be no such thing as falling away. So part number two, God expects us to submit to that original system. Part number three is that there has been a departure. That's part three. There has been a departure. There's been several departures. For example, in the worship of the church, there have been departures. Okay, we've pointed out many times that a lot of people, instead of just singing, as the New Testament says, then they're adding their guitar and they're adding their piano, they're adding their organ, they're adding their drums. So that is a departure. A lot of people, instead of partaking of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week in remembrance of Christ, they're not doing that every first day of the week. Maybe some are doing it once or twice a year, three or four times a year, but that is a departure. Some take it on a day other than the first day of the week. That is a departure. So there's departures in worship. Okay. There's departures in regard to the plan of salvation. Okay. Some people teach faith in the wrong way. They, they don't teach faith like James 2 teaches faith. James 2, 14 to 26 teaches that faith and works is satisfactory to God. Faith and works is acceptable to God. Not faith alone. But many do teach faith alone. And that is a departure in the gospel plan of salvation. There's also departures in regard to church organization, even today. More and more women and ladies are being given more and more of a prominent and dominant role in the local churches. That is a departure according to Paul in 1 Timothy 2, verses 8 to 13. That is a clear departure. That is a very popular trend right now in the midst of us, but that is a departure. You see, there have been departures. And we know, we very well know, and we step into this ugliness every day, we see it all around us, that there have been departures in regard to the family, regard to marriage and the family. Okay. We answer people just like Jesus answered people in Matthew 19, 3 and 4. Have you not read that he who made them male and female made them in the beginning, made them male and female and said for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother shall cleave unto his wife and there you go okay. but there have been departures so part number three to this restoration principle is there have been departures part number four is that there is the need to go back if there have been departures then there is a need to go back there is the need to go back there is the need to return there is the need to 
restore. Okay. All you got to do to know this is look at 1 Timothy 4 verses 1 and 2 where Paul actually predicts that there's going to be some departures. He said, In the last days some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. That's all you got to know. This departing that has taken place is associated with the devil himself. Okay. And so that's all you got to know to know that there is a need, there is the need to return. No one can follow the doctrines of demons and end up in the mansions uh, in the sky, mansions of God. You can't do that. It doesn't happen. Okay. Jesus says in Matthew 15, 13, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted shall be rooted up. Okay. We're not going to follow the doctrines of men and traditions of men and doctrines of demons and end up uh, in heaven. So there is the need to return. That's part number four. And part number five, there is the need to return fully. There's the need to return completely. Not halfway, not partially, not to one degree or another, but every bit of what the Lord has. Well, what did Jesus say? Matthew 28, verse 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, and then baptizing them, and then going back and teaching them all things. He says it there, Matthew 28, 20. Teaching them all things whatsoever commanded you. So going back and doing the restoring, it has to be a complete or full restoration or else it's nothing at all. Okay. Paul said that he was free from the blood of all men because he declared unto them the whole counsel of God, Acts 20, 26, and 27. And so those are the five parts. Okay. There is an original. God expects submission, compliance with it. There have been departures. There is the need to return. And then part five is there is the need to return fully. If the world is ever going to be saved, then there is the need, the crying need, to go back, to go back to these original documents and let ourselves submit, let ourselves obey, and then there will be the hope of salvation. All right. So the second part of our lesson then is about a corrupt attitude. A corrupt attitude. Now the good attitude of course is to take these five parts and, and go with it because these five parts of restoration is clearly, I hope would you, with a, more time we could establish it better, but at least you can see for this morning, it, they're clearly there. There they are. There they are. Okay. We don't know how to make things up around here. Okay. We just, whatever, God, whatever. And there it is. Okay. So the good attitude is to stick with these five parts. Bad attitude is to believe. And this is dominant in the religious, on the religious scene today, is to believe that yes, Christianity was set up in the first century, but it has an evolutionary process with it. This is corrupt. In other words, the belief is, yes, Christianity was set up in the first, first century, but, but it was never meant to look the same today as it did then. In other words, there's the belief that God built in Christianity uh, the, uh, the acceptance of things changing with uh, society, 
changing with changing times and changing with the whims of men and women, you see. And that's, that's a very corrupt attitude. The belief that maybe other than a couple of components of, of the early times, like except for belief in Jesus and except for a belief in, in that Jesus died on the cross, okay, you keep those. But just about everything else with the New Testament can change with time and with the whims of people, okay? That is the attitude that is dominant on the religious scene. And it is as corrupt as any devilish attitude has ever been. It is leading people uh, to a very, very dark uh, place. Now, years ago, there was a cardinal from the uh, Catholic Roman system. And he said this. He said, the church has the right to change practices in order to reach out to somebody in the world. And he said, his name was Henry Newman. Henry Newman, okay, a couple of generations ago. But he actually wrote down, Cardinal Henry, Henry Newman wrote down, the church has a right to change practices as long as they're doing it in the interest of reaching somebody for Christ. And so the practice of burning incense today and, um, and um, practice of using holy water, practice of using rosary beads. He says, all that's good if it helps reach somebody to come to a belief uh, in Jesus. He says, if the church okays it, then it's okay. Okay. So this is a chance for us to say something that's true. The church does not decide what is right. We, when we follow what is right, in other words, when we follow the New Testament, when we follow the original system, we become the church of our Lord. But the church does not decide what is right. Okay. There's another fellow from the Protestant world, from the Baptist world. Back in 1951, his name is Edward Hiscox. And he said this, very interesting. He said, yes, I would concede that baptism was the door into the church in the first century, but then he said, now it is different. Now it's different. And our question to him would be, and our brethren were questioning him back in the 1950s too, and our question would be to him today is, who made it different? Okay. How do you know that is different? Who gets to decide what is different today and what is not to be different today? Okay? No one gets to decide that. No human being gets to decide that. Only the Lord decides what is to be practiced today and what is not to be practiced uh, today. You see, there is a corrupt attitude, a belief that exists on the religious scene today. We don't do this just to point this out. We do this for understanding. We do this... To plead with each of us to think about what it is that God has set up and what it is that God has actually said in His Word. We're not surprised. We're not surprised that people will go for something new. We're not surprised by that at all. 
Because people have been brainwashed over the years that whatever is newest is got to be the best. Whether it's a new person, whether it's a new car, whether it's a new machine, as long as it's new, then it's got to be better than anything that we're experiencing right now. Okay. So why not Christianity? Well, it's not the case with Christianity. You can go buy something new if you want to. Okay. We're not surprised that people out here in the world would go for something new. Going for something new is nothing new. If you go back and look what Luke said about the people in Athens, Acts 17.21. Acts 17.21. Acts 17, Luke says, the writer Luke, he says that they spent their time in nothing else but to hear and to tell that which was new. It's nothing new to go after things which are new. But that brainwashing, that ideal, that, that consumption, that addiction to what is new has brought such a, a terror, it's such a corruption uh, in the religion of Jesus Christ. It's not surprising that the people of society, people out here in the world, will go after something new. What is concerning is that those even among us would start to do the same thing. Why is it that those among us are looking over to religious groups who have no right to exist in the first place? There's no legitimate right for them to be in existence in the first place, and yet we're looking to them and we're saying, well, I wonder what it is that works for them. I wonder what they're doing. I wonder why it is they have so many people. I'll tell you why they got so many people, because they're thirsting after things which are new and they're not going back to the original documents of the New Testament. Brother Roger, can this front pew over here, can it say amen? I don't know, somebody, somebody ought to say amen. amen. This is where we're at. This is exactly why we're doing this restore lesson this morning is to remember who we are, to remember where we're at. Okay. We have nothing to present to the world at all, nothing distinct to present to the world at all if this is not where we're at. And so there's a corrupt attitude. And then finally this morning, we want to notice a personal plea. Personal plea. I want us to see the power that this restoration gives us. This ideal of restoration. There's a lot of power it gives to us. Okay. For one thing, it helps us to clear up a lot of confusion. A lot of conf people get People get... The characteristics of being a Christian confused with this first principle of restoration. When I say characteristics of a Christian, I'm talking about like the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Shouldn't that be part of our lives? Shouldn't it? Well, yes, that should be part of our lives. But don't confuse that with this restoration principle. If you go back and restore what was originally set up, then these characteristics of Christ will naturally, automatically become part of you. Okay. You won't even have to work at it because you're already committed to the New Testament. These characteristics will become part of you, you see. But you'll be emphasizing the entire scope of what it is to be a Christian and not just a few compassionate traits. Okay. And by the way, 1 Corinthians 13 6 talks about love has a lot to say about love there in 1 Corinthians 13 but one of the things that 
that is characteristic of love is that love rejoices in the truth. It does not rejoice in iniquity. Going back to the first century way of things, going back to the first order, going back to the ancient order will help us to obey love in its proper manner. So it clears up a lot of confusion. That's the power of the restoration principle. It clears up so much confusion. People also get being a good example confused with the, with the original principle of restoration. See? Some folks will say, well, John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. If you have love one for another, and so all you got to do to reach out to the world is to love one another. Well, Jesus is working on the example of the disciples there. If you, if you read John 13, what, he had, what had he just done? He just washed their feet. Why is he washing their feet? Because they're arguing with each other. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Who's going to get to have the control? Who's going to be on his right hand? He said, you're missing... You're missing everything. You're missing it. So he's helping them to be a good example. Again, if you go back to the original documents, then you're going, and you take that in, you let it soak in, you are going to be a good example for Christ. Okay, it's just going to, it's just going to happen. But you're able to be, you'll be able to be a good example of Jesus. You'll be able to come more like him. But also, you'll be able to restore the truth that saves the soul. And so it gives power to us. And one way is it clears up a lot of confusion. Another thing that the restoration movement does for us, it, it instills confidence within us. Oh, we need that, man. We need that. We need the confidence that God is willing to give uh, to us. You see, by going back to the original system, we know exactly who we are. We know exactly how we became who we are. We know exactly what we need to be doing. We need to be worshiping in spirit and in truth. We need to be reaching out in love with the gospel to a lost and dying world. We know exactly who we are. We know exactly what we're to be doing. And we know exactly where we are going. There is power in that. There, there, there is something to reach the world with with that. Don't you see? Compare that to you know, think about talking to somebody. Who are y'all? Well, I'll tell you who we are. Okay. We're seeking to become what they were in the first century. Why don't you join us on that? We're going back to the New Testament. Okay. Compare that to saying to somebody, well, um, you know, uh, we're all sinners and, uh, and, uh, and we're, we're trying to work this out. Why don't you come on over here and... and uh, and we'll try to work this out and just see uh, if God's love can, can reach us. That's pathetic. That's, that's pathetic. That's not, that's not the power God has given us. He's given us a, a surety. Okay? Remember what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.14. He said, you continue in the things which you have learned and you have been assured of. Okay? Uh, there's nothing weak about being a Christian. We know exactly where we're to go. If somebody comes up to you and says, hey, uh, how is it you become a Christian? No problem. Let's go. Where do you want to sit down? I know exactly where to take them. I don't have to guess about it. I don't have to think about it. It's not on me. That's the wonderful thing about this confidence that the restoration principle gives us. It's not on me. I am 
thankful to the Lord, it is not on me. The confidence comes from what he has revealed. And all I got to do is just show it. Just get show and tell. That's all it is, show and tell. All I got to do is just show it. Okay? There's nothing, I don't have to have a tremendous personality. I don't have to have this strategy or that strategy. I don't have to come from a certain family. I don't have to live in a certain house. I don't have to, live, I don't have to drive a certain car. It's not on me. Okay? All I got to do is point people to the way. That's the kind of confidence that, that comes from this restoration idea. And we have not had enough sense. We have lost our edge. It's not an edge, it's not a human strategy, it's the edge, it's the distinctive edge, the distinctive principle God has given to us. How do you know God give it, gives this to us? Because he predicts in the, in the New Testament again and again that there's going to be departures from the faith. So naturally he wants us to take this, these words and help call people back to the original ideas. Okay. Confidence. By the way, guys, our religious friends are also sick of what's taking place in regard to marriage. Our religious friends out here, they are talking about the, the, the sickening beliefs about marriage and gender and what's happening to the home. They are sick about that. Okay, what are they doing to, to correct that? Okay, they're, they're bringing people back to the New Testament. This is a good time, good time to reach our neighbors because they see that as you depart, things get very, very corrupt and it is a great time to show, well, don't just go back in regard to marriage and the home. Why don't we go all the way back? Okay, let's not, let's, let's, let's not just tackle a couple of issues. Let's go all the way, what about worship? What, what about the plan of salvation? What about Christian living? You know, what about belief in Christ? What, what about belief in the Bible? What about belief in heaven? What about belief of the second coming? Let's go all the way back. It's just a good time. So this restoration principle instills confidence in us. There's a personal plea here that we all ought to grasp. This restoration idea also instills courage within, within us. Courage. Courage. Confidence and courage is just absolutely almost not even not even seen within us today. But if we go back to the restoration idea, we can grab some courage, we can get some courage. People are scared, they're scared to death that if we, if we take people back to the New Testament, that it's gonna make them feel uncomfortable. That, that, that it, they're, they're gonna have some, some rough feelings come up, okay? How do you respond to that? All right, let me ask you, were you converted to Christ? And when you were converted to Christ, was there not some conflict? I mean, when you're converted to Christ, you have to come face to face with the idea that you are a sinner against the God of heaven. Is that not some conflict? Does that, did that not make you feel uncomfortable? Did not that bring some rough feelings within you? Didn't that keep you up at night? And... When you come face to face with, with your sin, and when you were originally converted, did you not have to search the truth? Did you not have to go and look for it? Did you not have to figure some things out that are written in the Bible? If you didn't, then what did you do? 
Did you just obey because somebody else says, hey, it makes a good idea to obey? I hope that wasn't the case because if you're truly converted, you have to come face to face with your sin. You have to figure some things out of what the Lord has said and you've got to get that clear in your mind and then you're ready to obey. There's going to be conflict. You can't, you can't dance around conflict. You hope there's conflict because that means there's a change going on within the heart and soul. And so it gives us courage. Yes, there's going to be people are going to be are going to be uncomfortable. I've I've talked to Brother Sam Scott thousands of times about his conversion, and there is a process there. Okay, you got to get mad, you got to get sad, and then eventually you'll get glad. Okay, but first, when you realize that that you have not been taught the truth, okay, then it makes you mad. And Sam says that he just sought out to show that, that, that what he was hearing was wrong, but what he did, he kept bumping into the truth and bumping into the truth and bumping into the truth. And then that made him sad that he actually still had his sins attached to him. But then once he found the way through the blood of Jesus and obedience to the gospel, then that made him glad. And like the Ethiopian eunuch, he went on his way rejoicing. But you have, there's no way of getting around that, guys. There's no way. My girls went through it. Your girls will go through it. You're, you hope they will. Okay? My girls struggle. Okay? When someone is struggling about what I'm going to do with my soul, that's good. It has to be there. Okay? Don't be scared of making someone feel uncomfortable because that's what it takes. That's what it takes. There is a conservative writer by the name of Thomas Sowell and he said this, good for us to hear. He says, when you tell somebody what they need to hear, you help them. When you tell somebody what they want to hear, you do not help them, but you help yourself because it makes you feel better, you see. And I'm afraid that's exactly how we have approached things here in the last whenever, is that we've tried to approach people in order in some way that will make us feel better. We're not giving them what they need, but it makes me feel better. I, I can just raise my hand and say, look, you know, I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. Okay. You know, you go to a guy's funeral and they, they get up and say, you never heard him say anything crossways about anybody. Okay. So therefore, he's going to heaven. I'm not so sure about that because... because how often has he called them back to the truth? You know? There's got to be conflicts, what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. There's got to be, there's got to be personal conflict. Okay? And we come in, in direct attention of, of the original New Testament. It's going to put us face to face with the truth and face to face uh, with our sins. Okay? Thomas Sowell went on to say, he says, when you, when you tell somebody what they want to hear, you're making yourself feel good, but you're not helping them. He says, in fact, what you're doing, you are sacrificing their soul in order for yourself to feel better. And I think that's what has happened over the years. Okay. Because in reaching out to people, we don't want to bring them face to face with their sin or face to face with the truth. We don't want them to feel bad toward us. So therefore, we don't tell them the truth makes us feel pretty good about ourselves. But what's going to happen to them in eternity? 
question is, do I want to receive the approval of men or the approval of God? What will help people the most? The approval of God will help people the most because it will help them now to get the peace from God and it will help them to be in eternity with God. And so this restoration plea is a personal plea because it instills within us a clarity. It clears up a lot of confusion. It instills within us a confidence. And it instills within us, hopefully, a courage. A courage. And we want to stop here as we approach the end of the year and just say, Where, what is it about us? Is there anything special here? Is, is there anything special about the Lord's people? Well, when you say the Lord's people in its truest sense, then there is something distinct. There is something special. We have something to offer the world, and we need to go back to that. It's not the newest thing. It's the oldest thing that will take us to heaven. And so I wanted to express these three parts. The first part was those five parts, and then a corrupt attitude, and then a personal plea. Okay. Directed not just at all of us, but at me and anyone who wants to learn the truth of the gospel. Let's stand and sing as Brother Aaron leads us.